You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Jesus is our Lord and Creator, supreme and preeminent, yet He came to dwell among us. Learn more about this message in week one of our series, In Time. Welcome everyone to our brand new series this uh, Christmas, and we entitled it In Time, In Time. And I believe it's just proper that in the midst of the clamor for people to cancel 2020, they want to skip Christmas this 2020. But I'd like to tell us today that it's just in time that we need to savor the idea that the God of the universe has come down to earth, and that's what we call Christmas. In fact, there are different um, uh, ways how Christmas has been explained through the Gospels, and we have Christmas in, in, in Matthew and, and, and Mark and, and Luke, but we're going to be focusing a kind of Christmas that's not narrative in presentation, but it's more on thematic. Uh, it's more of a, the theology behind it, and uh, John is pretty much focus on that. He deviated a little bit in comparison to the three synoptic Gospels. And so, uh, having said that, I'd like us to see how he has started off his Gospel of John. And, and a lot of people made a comment about, about this, um, the way he has written. And basically, he, has, he said in the first few words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, and then mentioned in verse 14, and the word became flesh. He mentioned the word, the word word four times in this passage of Scripture. Um, and we're going to go through each time he has mentioned it and drive a point out of each. And uh, a lot of men in the past made a comment in the way he has done his introduction. You know, sometimes doing introduction like this will kind of, what? What did he say? Uh, no wonder why um, John Calvin made a comment. He says, rather should we be satisfied with this heavenly oracle, knowing that it says much more than our minds can take in. A combination of Augustine and Chrysostom made a comment about this. They both said, it is beyond the power of man to speak as John does in his prologue. It's kind of tough to wrap our, our brains around this prologue, uh, these few verses that John has written, but we will do our best to come and, and dig into the Scriptures and try to decipher it for our audience in the year 2020 pandemic, all right? And... Uh, Let's just attempt to do that. And one of the current thinkers in our modern day today by the name of Jordan Peterson made a comment in, in his book, in his, one of his famous books. And he mentioned something about uh, a certain philosopher who tried to capsulize uh, you know, a, a foundation stone by which um, a proper being could be established. And uh, he tried to summarize it, and instead of having long statements, he basically just invented, tried to invent 
cogito ergo sum, or in English, translated as I think, therefore I am. It's basically just trying to say that because I'm able to think, therefore I, I don't have to doubt my own existence. My way of reasoning and the way uh, since I'm able to think, therefore I'm real. Uh, that's how he has tried to establish that proper being, having that foundation stone for the proper being. And, and, uh, but if you come to think about it, he is the uh, first person probably who have secularized the idea of I. The word I, I think, therefore I, I am. Thousands of years before this, there's been a god named, one of the gods in Egypt, by the name of Horus, an all-seeing god. I don't know if you've seen that all-seeing god, and probably you might even see that in, in the uh, dollar bills, <laughs> the all-seeing god. And, and for them, that's what, the, that's what the I means. And basically, uh, even years before uh, the gods of Egypt, there had been a god in Mesopotamia by the name of a creator god by the name of Marduk. And uh, this Marduk uh, thing is whose eyes in encircled his head and who spoke forth words of world-engendering uh, magic. But I want us to know that during the Christian era, a man by the name of John, one of the 12 disciples, decided to write one of the Gospels. And he started off his Gospel by mentioning the word logos, or word. Now, the word logos it may be just new to some of us, but this has been so familiar to the readers of this Gospel. He has written this. Gospel of John designed for all Christians in the world. So therefore, there were Jews, there are Greeks who have been converted to Christianity and they can all relate to this because even philosophers during that time, the Greeks and the Hebrews are able to understand what Logos is all about. And we're going to go through that today. And he strategically highlighted and address some of the issues regarding the word that he was able to relate to his readers. It's almost like, I don't know if you remember Apostle, uh, um, Apostle Paul when he was in Athens. If you remember in Acts 17, he was roaming around the city of Athens and he saw so many gods and there was a particular god that's, there's a label that says to an unknown god. <laughs> you remember that? So what happened was he used that as an opportunity, as a tool of conversation with the people in Athens, with the philosophers in Athens, and he tried to introduce that God to them. I could imagine John, Apostle John, had been trying to do the same thing. But because he was aware that everybody's knowledgeable about the word logos, he used it immediately but transformed the meaning of it. And he redefined it for them. The I transformed into the logos, the word that speaks order into being at the beginning of time. That's how he tried to 
uh, transform the word I or logos in this book of God, in this gospel that he has written. Rene Descartes secularized it and turning it more explicitly into that which is aware and thinks. That's basically what Descartes was trying to say. Now, as far as this passage of the scripture that John has written, and he has mentioned the word word four times, as I've said, then we're going to go through each one of those and try to capture the logos of Christmas. If we're going to put a title to this message, the logos of Christmas. When I look at that, the word of Christmas. Three descriptions of these three logos of Christmas. The first one is found in verse 1, the first part of verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was logos. He's talking about the logos of Christmas as God of eternity. It's almost like John was trying to, uh, uh, trying to reach out to the chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis and trying to uh, mention in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Almost like he's saying, look, these logos, in the beginning was the logos. And so here John locates Jesus' existence in eternity past with God. He is trying to introduce Christ, all right, basically in verse 14, but trying to introduce, but in preparation before he dropped the bomb in verse 14, he's basically saying, look, guys, you can locate Jesus not few years back when he was born in a, in a manger, but even eternity past. That's why he is the God of eternity. In the beginning was Logos. Second description of the Logos of Christmas is not only God of eternity, but second person of the Trinity. And this is what he said in the next part of verse 1. And the Word was with God. Not only that the location of Christ and Messiah could be seen through eternity past with God, but also that he coexisted with God. And we all know that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. And this indicates the interpersonal relationship with God, Father and the Son relationship. When he says, and the word was with God, it's like you're walking along and you are with someone. It speaks of the interpersonal relationship of the father and the son. In our case, this personally as seen later in verse 14, the second person of the Trinity. Now here's Augustine. I want to quote Augustine again on this one. This is what he said. If the Son came into being only at His birth, if Jesus only had come 2,000 years ago, then there can be no triune God, for the Son would not be eternal, hence, not God. If Christ had not been in existence prior to the first Christmas, 
then there will be no triune God, and therefore Christ is not God. But John had the audacity to say that he's the Son of God and he's with God, therefore the second person of the Trinity. The third description of the Logos of Christmas is Creator, who is Almighty. Creator, who is Almighty. And it says in the later part of verse 1, And the Word was God. He had the audacity to declare that these Logos is God Himself. That's, a, that's a, a very tough declaration to say, but John said it anyway. And then the next verse, verse 2, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You know, to declare that the Logos is God, or Christ is God, is in the, to the Jewish readers to say this, that Jesus was God was a, was a, was a blasphemous kind of a statement. If, you, if they'll read this book and the Jewish Hebrew people would read this Gospel of John, they would just throw the book. <laughs> they would throw that parchment or scroll, whatever you call it, because this is blasphemy. How can a Logos be God? And how can a Christ be God? And how can this person be God, but John said it. To the Jewish readers to say this, that Jesus was God, as I've said, is, is blasphemous. In Hebrew uh, thought, the word, in, in, if you read, there are some verses in the Old Testament uh, that, that's, that, that spoke of the logos of the word, but it's actually an expression of God. And yet, during this time, uh, the, the, the Jews, for them to think that the Messiah Christ is God is really bl blasphemous. But in, in, in the Hebrew, Hebrew mindset, uh, without thinking about Christ, just the pure word logos, uh, that's so acceptable to them. In fact, these are mentioned in the Old Testament, like in Psalm 33, verse 6. He's an agent of creation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Not only that, that he's the source of God's message to his people through the prophets. Logos are the words that had been spoken by the prophets. Every time, every time a prop, prophet would speak, that's Logos. He, Hosea 4 verse 1. Here's, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Not only that, in the Hebrew mindset, God's law is a standard of holiness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible growing up as a teenager, as a believer, a brand new believer. This is one of my favorite verses. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Amazing passage of scripture. To their mind, the Logos is, is really uh, uh, the standard of holiness. Jewish people during that time to connote that Christ is God is really blasphemy because there's only one uh, Logos and, and, and God who is Yahweh. And you can't make Christ be God. But the last one. Now, this is what separates the description of John regarding Logos to the rest 
of the understanding of the Greeks and the understanding of the, the Hebrews and the Jews. Um, even probably even the modern day Rene Descartes uh, who have tried to capture it during his time in 1637. He is, the Logos is the savior of humanity. Logos is the savior of humanity. We're going to look at that in verse 14, and it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's a drop mic statement. Telling the world that the logos that, we, that, that the Jewish, that the Hebrew people have been talking about in the Old Testament, that logos has now become tangible before us. He's not just, he didn't just stay out there in the heavens as a transcendent God, but he has come down to earth to touch it and dwelt amongst us, as what the scripture said. That's why we rejoice during Christmas. Why? Because God has become real to mankind. That he's no longer just in heaven, separated from us. For those of you who have been losing hope because of the pandemic, I want you to know that God is real. <laughs> that he has come down during the time of chaos. And he brought life to earth. And the same God who has come down 2,000 years ago in that manger right there in a feeding trough amongst the animals is the same God who's, who can visit us today in that ICU room. The same God who can visit you today in your quarantine situation. The same God who can come down and visit you today in your own room. Israel. John tried to propose and explain to everybody that this logos is not far off, but he's reached down to earth. And that's what makes these logos different from the rest of the other understanding of logos out there. To the Greek readers, to say that the word, the logos has become human, <laughs> to the Greeks, that's unthinkable. <laughs> That's unthinkable because Logos is supposed to be staying out there and it can't be here. But John's, this new understanding of the word was the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why they call it good news. <laughs> John is saying, my kind of concept of Logos, here it is, is superior to the Greek philosophical concept of logos as an impersonal principle of reason. To the Greeks, they think logos is a, is a principle of reason. It's impersonal, but John says it's not an impersonal reason or principle of reason that gave order to the universe. But I want you to know that this logos is the ultimate revelation of God. He is the living picture of God's holiness. That Christ has met the, the justice and the wrath of God. And one who holds the creation together. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17. When he, uh, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. As I end, let me, 
let me quote Gregory of Nacianzus. Gregory is one of the theologians, and he made the description about the Son and the Word combined together, and this is what he said. He is called Son because he is identical with the Father in essence. As I've mentioned to us today, he's the second person of the Trinity. Same essence. And he's called the Word because he is related to the Father as the Word to mine. That's why he is the Word, and that's why he's the Son of God. The same essence with the Father, and he's related with the Father as Word to mine. John's description shows clearly that he's speaking of Jesus, a human being he knew and loved. This is not just a nebulous God out there. John is, this is so endearing to John. Remember, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. His depth of understanding of the Messiah is so much so that theologians are impressed and they couldn't even wrap their brains around it and, and yet John got it because he was trying to explain to the rest of the believers in the world the person that he knew and the person that he loved. And today, let me just close uh, with this. God has chosen to come to humanity. That's why it's so different from the rest of their understanding of the world religions in the world. Mankind, humanity trying to reach to God. But John says in verse 14, and the Word became flesh. That's what Christianity is all about. God has chosen to come to humanity, not humanity, to God. As I end today, I want to say, the Word who spoke the universe into existence is the God who became man as the Savior of the world. Let me say that again. The Word who spoke the universe into existence is the God who became man as the Savior of the world. I want to say to everyone listening right now, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for showing us today that you're the one who initiated reaching out to us. No amount of our efforts that can do that. The works of salvation has done by our Savior. Lord, may we be in love the way John has been so in love with Christ. The person that he knew and he loved, we want this Christmas season to grow in our knowledge and our love for you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.